is joining with me in prayer once more. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may we never grow dull of what you have to say. No matter how many times we read and hear in the mornings and the evenings, whether it's our 10th time or 20th time in the day, Lord, it is never enough. Your word is rich, deep, profitable for our hearts, and we pray tonight as you speak through me that what I say would be clear. Grant me a concision in speech, conviction of the heart, and give us clarity as to what you say here in Psalm 3 tonight. We pray all of, all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. My name is Luke Kim, and I am currently the campus intern for URC and SEF. Uh, it's been a privilege to be with you all here today. If you could join with me to the Psalms, to Psalm 3. That's where our text is this evening. One sense, uh, Pat Quinn today wonderfully shared with us great message from Psalm 25. Um, if you don't understand anything I say today, whatever Pat Quinn said is what I try to say. And if you understood anything tonight, praise the Lord, he is alive. Uh, before we read this text, I just want to give us a context as to what is occurring here in Psalm 3. If you look at the title, it says, A Psalm of David when he fled the city from Absalom, his son. Absalom, if you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 15, uh, he was exiled from his father, King David, for killing his own brother, Amon, or Ammon, for sexually defiling his own sister, Tamar. And after many years, Joab had then requested David, or sneakily requested David, to bring him back. David agrees to do so, but for another two years, he refuses to speak to Absalom at all. And after those two years, he then agrees to see him, and right after he Sees him once again, Absalom then in his craftiness, it says, he then handles all the disputes in a hypothetical way in the front of the gates of King David. He basically goes to all the people who come to King David to handle disputes and says, well, if I was king, I would clear you of this charge. If I was king, I would do this for you. And it says he did that for four years and without the people knowing, their hearts were stolen by Absalom. And when Absalom went to Mount Hebron, it, it shows that thousands of men just followed Absalom. And then when he was now going back to the city, David was then made aware that thousands of the men that were with Absalom were now coming for David and his head. And now David is in fear completely blindsided by the fact what had happened, and now he is walking, fleeing away from the city, weeping in tears, and totally distraught over what happened. And this is what he prays when he flees from his own city and his own son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. 
I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. I think it's worth noting here that this psalm, as David is penning this, it's not a psalm when he prays when he's actually walking away from the city. It's a retrospective moment when David recalls as to what had happened when he left Jerusalem. And now he's penning out, this is what I felt, this is what I went through at this time. So it doesn't diminish anything what he was experiencing. It's just a more of a retrospective look as to what occurred. And as I've been reading uh, this psalm for this past week, just meditating on it, uh, even applying it this whole week, what I have found in my own life and even discovered is that this psalm is a gold standard psalm for hope and deliverance. I think there are many psalms like that, but this psalm of what I found is a psalm that I could turn myself back to again and again when I have any types of feelings of, 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 of need of the Lord to rescue me from my life. And if you are here, or if you know anyone, or one day maybe you may be going through any kinds of afflictions or feelings of sorrow, despair, betrayal, heartache, disappointment, depression, feeling like you are constantly reminded of your besetting sins, feelings of the whole world even crashing down on you, or even feeling that God is against you and not for you, then Psalm 3 is given by God for you. And I think that goes without saying that, that this psalm is for every single one of us in this room. And what I essentially want to say tonight is that the weight of your afflictions are temporary moments that will all be lifted by the Lord's deliverance. The weight of your current or future afflictions are temporary moments that will all be lifted by the Lord's deliverance. And I want to show this by looking at four parts of David's prayer. So number one, uh, number one is David's persecution. Number two is David's exaltation. Number three is David's restoration. Number four, David's salvation. Two verses for each point. So number one, David's persecution. So I've just already mentioned the state of King David's heart. What we find here in the first couple of verses of his prayer is that David is deeply shaken by what has developed. And 2 Samuel 15 verse 30 helpfully describes David's physical emotion. It says, but David went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. So we see that David is just emotionally a wreck. That while he is going, everything that he just finds himself is just a distraught feeling in his life. And we see this emotional aspect here in this verse, 
But here, what we see in the first two verses are just a, 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 a perspective of what is going on in David's heart. What are his inner thoughts? What, are, what is he thinking at the time? And it begins by revealing to us that what's troubling David at the time when he flees from Jerusalem are, typical, are two main things that I'd like for us to see. First, it's clear that for David, that the number of the people that are against him disturbs his soul. It says, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul. But I think even more than the number of people that are against David, it's also what I think of the people that have a relation with him, that the relational aspect that he has with these people that are against him. Because if we remember, these aren't just random people that are turning against David at this time. It's not just some random army from a far-off country now pursuing Jerusalem. No, it's the city that David has taken care of, the city and the people that he spent time with, that he's loved and shepherded and prayed for, spent time with, and even his own son, Absalom, and even his own counselor, it says, have risen against him. And the people that David deeply loved the most, or deeply loved, have become his enemies by mocking his deepest love for the Lord. And I just want to quickly add here that I think this is so often true for all of us. The people that we get so often hurt by, afflicted from, heartbroken from, are not just some random people on the street. It's the people that we're so close to, people that we find most dear in our life. It's not some random guy who just comes up to you and says, hey, man, you're really weird for following the Lord. I think none of us would really even think about that for too long, but I think if it's a friend, it's much different. I remember one time when I was uh, an undergrad, I remember I was just so changed and deeply affected by the Lord. I started just started worshiping the Lord with songs and with my off-pitch tone, and I remember I opened the door I would just sing songs out loud, like loud, uh, and I wanted them to hear what I was singing. I remember one day, this random guy comes down, this, comes down my room, and he says, bro, like quit singing, you suck. So I graciously, in my love for the Lord, I turned back to him and said, bro, guess what? You're ugly. <laughs> I don't know, that's really weird. I don't know why I said that, but I know I had a love for God, not love for people at the time. But might be a bad illustration, but I never had another thought of that guy again. But what I, essentially what I'm trying to say is, at what I, the main point from this is that much like what David is experiencing at this time, is that you and I should not be surprised when people in your life the people you deeply love and maybe even people in this church turn against you, afflict you, break your heart for your deepest love for the Lord. And even if you are faithful, we shouldn't be altogether surprised when things of affliction and despair occurs in our life. And if we are truly faithful, 
We won't be just experiencing one or two enemies, but much like David, we'll be experiencing many in our lifetime. And secondly, what I think is the core thing of what is really disrupting his heart is a statement of what many people are saying to David. It's that there is no salvation for him in God. I mean, David is hearing from people, people he loved, that there is no hope and deliverance for him in God. I mean, he is hearing that the sins that he committed are greater than his so-called God that can save him from sins. And I say sins here because what's occurring to David is no random occurrence. Uh, If you remember when Nathan the prophet confronted David for his sins with Bathsheba, he says this in uh, chapter 12, verse 12 in 2 Samuel. He says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. So what's happening to David isn't unwarranted. I mean, he's reaping what he sowed. But just, just picture for a moment, though, as he is fleeing the city, what he is hearing from the enemies of his life. David, man, where is your God? I thought you were a man after God's own heart. Where is your Savior? Can he not deliver you from this moment? Can he not save you? Is there no salvation for you in God? I think for many of us, we can hear these same voices voices every day, maybe not from people directly, but just in our own thoughts by the enemy, just, just thinking in our heads and saying, there is no way the Lord could save me. At this. There is no way what I just did, my sins are way too big. It's in my face, all around me, reminding me that There is no salvation for me in God. There's no way the Lord can deliver me from this moment. Charles Spurgeon even adds on to this very verse by saying, If all the trials which come from heaven, all the temptations which ascend from hell, and all the crosses which arise from earth could be mixed and pressed together, they would not make a trial so terrible as that which is contained in this verse, verse 2. It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. For King David here, he lost his one remaining son. He lost his people, his throne, his friends, his loved ones, and now is being driven to this fear from the voices that are whispering in his ears that God cannot save him from his afflictions. That God cannot see his tears and that God cannot rescue him from his troubles. But David, he doesn't rest his ears and his heart on these lies. He shifts his heart and begins to exalt the Lord and reminds himself by speaking of who the Lord is in his life. It's the second point, David's exaltation. David begins here with two words of what I have found to be some of the most glorious conjunctional phrases in the Bible. But you, but you, 
If you remember in Ephesians 2, it has this same phrase that Paul begins with verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath like the rest of of mankind. And he says here, but God. And he lists all the benefits that he has for you. And it just negates everything that Paul mentioned beforehand. And just like here when David prays, all these enemies surrounding me, it's negating by saying, but you, Lord, are so-and-so. And he lists all these things helpfully for us, three things of what I want to look at. A shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. A shield about me. I think when we often visualize a shield, I sometimes, at least what I think about a shield, it's just a circular shield that we just kind of carry around, run around with, and hit people with a sword. Whatever you want to think about a, short, a shield, that's what I think of. But David, when he is thinking of a shield, the shield that they had an image of was extremely large in size that it would cover their whole body. And it would be so large that it would even be hard and heavy to carry around. And even in the CSB and the NIV, uh, it says in this translation that the shield is around us. So it's not just a shield that covers one side only. It doesn't mean we have a blind spot that the Lord does not defend. It's not like they shoot some magical arrow and it's like, oh, I'm going to hit you right in the back. The Lord didn't protect you on your blind side. Like, you're done. No, he is around us. He secures us. If you watched the movie uh, The Gladiator, sometimes think of this in the way the Lord shields us. Uh, when the gladiators are facing the Roman soldiers, they are surrounding them, and they're all getting picked off one by one. And the, the, leader, the leader, Maximus, then says, all right, we got to turtle together and shield each other back to back so none, none of us can get, get harmed. And what we find in that movie is later they become victorious because of their defensive mechanism and so-and-so. And that, that is how we need to visualize a shield in the way that Lord protects us, secures us. It's all, every, every angle of our life that he protects. And I think, I do remember though in the Gladiator movie, I think some of them did die, but in, in either way, the Lord is a greater shield than that. He is an impenetrable and invincible shield that no enemy could break through. There's no crack that the enemy can slip by and attack us. The Lord secures us permanently. And I think there are two ways in that he secures us in this verse. He he says for David, he he secures him in in a physical harm because the enemy at this moment is in the pursuit of his life, wanting to kill him. And then secondly is a shield from spiritual harm, shielding him from the deception of the lies that there is no salvation in God. So in saying that the Lord is our shield, he covers and protects us, not just one area of our life, but spiritually and physically, he will, he will defend us from all enemies. Anything that is attacking us, that will harm us, he will protect us as we declare 
who he is as our shield. And secondly, as David says that he is my glory, David, when he exalts Christ as his glory, I think one thing that happens here is that his perspective to his circumstances radically changes. And even for us, when we say Christ is our glory, the way we see our affliction should radically change. And here's why I say that. It's because when we say that Christ is our glory, we are now saying that the glory that we typically find in our name, in in the person that we love, in our family, in our kingdom, when all those things get thrown out, It won't matter as to what is going on in your heart because your life is living for the glory of Christ. And for David, when he is exalting Christ as his glory, when he is losing everything in his life, when he says, Lord, you're my glory, nothing that is taken in his life will affect him because Jesus will be sufficient for his life. And no no matter what pain that even David is going, no matter what sorrow that he may be dealing with, and the tears that are just coming from his face, Christ who is in him, the hope of glory will free him from all the afflictions. And thirdly, the lifter of my head, as David says. If we remember in verse 30, as I said, of 2 Samuel 15, it detailed how dejected David and his people were as they climbed the Mount of Olives. I mean, their heads were hanging low and feelings of defeat and and depression were permeating throughout their camp. And David particularly is most likely at this feeling some shame for his sins, uh, embarrassment for his inability to rule, depressed over the loss of his friends, and maybe even questioning his calling in life. But David remains even confident here that despite the lowliness of his head, Christ is able to put joyfulness in his heart. I mean, not by lifting his own head, but by asking the Lord to lift his head. And the reason why David asks of the Lord to lift his head is because in his dejection, the only person that he is able to physically look at, look at is himself. That's what happens when David is just walking, just their heads are hanging low, the heads are covered. All you can look at at that moment is just downward and inward of what's going on in your life. It is physically hard for you to look upward because the situation is all that you can see. The peripherals, that's all you see, just the afflictions, the pain, the sorrows. How did this happen? But David is exalting the Lord by saying, no, you are the lifter of my head. Did you catch that? It says he is the lifter. He's not a lifter. He is the only one that is able to lift his face up towards Christ himself. He's not lifting him up high to the sky and saying, hey, look at the trees. They're very nice. Look at the sky, the clouds, you know. It'll be very nice for you. He's, he's lifting his head to Christ himself because it is in Christ, in, written, in his glory, where we find how small our sins are and how big our God is. It's seeing how, how glorious our Christ is and how, how, our, how our afflictions look so small. And notice also here, 
In verse 4, the way that David prayed, it says, He cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy, holy hill. I think we can often forget that in our tears and anguish, that that the Lord sees and hears our cries. He sees every teardrop that falls from your face. He hears every moment of weeping and listens to every prayer. And as he responded to David here, he will respond to us. May not be tomorrow, even next week. I don't know when that may be, but he will respond. And he will respond in wiping every tear from your face. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He is closer than what you may ever see and hear. And he will always save you from what you can never think of. Number three, in David's prayer, we see David's restoration, verses five to six. Uh, The heading for these next two verses might be a bit misleading, but I do think there is a form of restoration that we see with David as he reflects on how the Lord delivered him from his troubles. It says here, starting with verse five, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I think it can be very true that what David has experienced from walking down to the, walking up the Mount of Olives and weeping as he went, he is exhausted. I think for some, many of us here in this room, we just get exhausted by walking around the neighborhood. David is exhausted and, and in an ailment of what is going on, and he lays down to sleep. I think we can say that's the o- I don't think it'd be fair to say that's the only reason as to why he may be sleeping. Um, I often hear from uh, parents and caregivers that uh, one way they want their children to just have a good night's rest is to let them cry all night. Um, I don't know how true that is. I think that sounds really crazy to me. I think if I was a parent, uh, Lord willing, I'd just spike their drinks with NyQuil. Um, I've done that to my sister once. It worked. You can maybe try that if you like. I don't know. But I don't think David here is simply sleeping here because he's physically tired from the bitterness of his weeping, but he sleeps after his prayer because of the sweetness that comes with the sleeping. Proverbs 3.24 says, If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I think one means of grace for us to show that we trust in the Lord through our afflictions is to simply sleep. Not just sleeping so that you can forget your heartaches, but sleeping knowing that the Lord is sustaining you through your heartaches. And it may even seem like for many of us that each new day is just a reminder of just how great our afflictions are, just a new day to say, oh Lord, this is, these are not new mercies. These are new reminders of how big my sin is and how much sorrow that I'm going through. No matter how much you may be feeling that at that moment, what I want to say to you and what the Lord did for David as he woke up is that the Lord is sustaining you through your afflictions. He is prolonging you through your troubles. And he won't let you break. He won't let this affliction define you. And he surely won't abandon you. 
the very things that David becomes afflicted by is the very things that he is also becoming fearless of. And that's what happened. That's what he says in verse 6. He says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves, set themselves against me all around. One commentator indicated here the number of men that were with Absalom were 12,000 compared to the 400 men that were with David. So just about everywhere that David is looking, all he can be looking at and seeing around him is just the enemies that are just surrounding him and preparing themselves to attack him. And David here is, is by no means underestimating his enemies for declaring that he's not afraid. He's, he's saying that he understands that his, he, he understands that his adversaries are, are cruel and cunning. But he knows that, but he knows that the, re, the, the, the reason why he has a new confidence and able to walk a new day with the Lord is that the confidence that he finds in is not in the source of his strength, but in the strength of his God, his Lord. And I like to sometimes think that having the Lord on your side is like having the greatest basketball player on your team, LeBron James. I don't care what you have to say, you Michael Jordan idolaters. It is not true. LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. He would crush MJ like an ant. But much like LeBron, it doesn't matter how bad you may be. It doesn't matter how terrible you are. He's going to carry you every day. And no matter how, how big your opponents may be, all you got to do is look to LeBron, and he's just going to dunk it on the opponent's face, and you'll come out victorious. Defeat won't be your end game. And that's how we are to look at the Lord. The Lord, he will carry us. We just have to look to him and know that through our afflictions, we will become victorious with him. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Are you afraid? Are you walking in fearfulness of your life? Then know and take heart, because Christ has overcome the world, and the enemies you currently fear already tremble with the greater fear of the Lord. And no trial will be too big, no pain will be too deep, and no sin will be too dark for the Lord to shine through. And if you look in these last two verses of this psalm, this is what David prays, a prayer for salvation and deliverance. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I think Pat mentioned this so well this morning of how desperation is often a mark of, of the Lord delivering people from their afflictions or a mark of their prayers in the way the Lord delivers them from their afflictions. And David here is also praying to the Lord with this same desperation in his heart. He's saying, arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. I think, I think sometimes for many of us, when we pray, we need to pray with this desperation. And I think oftentimes, maybe not often, but at, 
at certain moments in our life when we feel like we need the Lord to deliver us, we sometimes just need to shout out in our prayers of the Lord's deliverance over our life. I know we're all Presbyterians and we like to be just quiet and just be in our own pews and don't touch me, like don't lift your hand in my face, that's not what I want. I just want to just pray quietly, that's what I want. But I think sometimes the way David prays, the way David prays, we need to pray with this exalting, just the, the scream in our heart and declaring the Lord to just save us, to, to, to arise and lift us. I know that's what I did when I came um, from, church, uh, from my home in Novi this morning as I was on my way to church. I remember I was just praying, as I was just meditating. I was like, Lord, I am preaching tonight and I am in deep trouble because I just don't feel like I'm ready. And as I was just praying, I was just getting in the, in the, I don't know, my juices were flowing. I was just like, yeah, let's, let's, I like this. I'm praying pretty well right now. And I just remember I was just like beating my chest like, let's go. Let's go, Lord. That's my way of saying, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. <clears throat> but I think David cries out to God in such a manner because of his understanding, as it says in, this, in, the, in, the, in the verse later on, of how he crushes his enemies. It says in this illustration of that, that he strikes them on the cheek and breaking the teeth of the wicked. It's like, it's like for me when I just think of this illustration, it's like someone stomping on the mouth of a snake. And, and, and as they're just stomping the mouth of the snake, all of the, of the pangs of the teeth that it uses to poison and harm the enemies are shattered and, and the harm is no longer there. It's like... Now there, and it bites as an infant would bite your finger. It's, it's harmless. And David knows that this breaking of the enemy is only done by our Lord. Only the Lord can defeat our enemies. And what I've been saying right now, it may just sound so repetitive that only the Lord can save you, but this is essentially what David has been praying throughout his whole prayer. I mean, he's just been describing different attributes of the Lord as he prays this of how he delivers him. And the, I think the climactic description of why the Lord can save him from his troubles is in verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And salvation, as David says, belongs to him. Christ alone can give salvation to his people because he himself is salvation. It is only through Christ that we are saved. And we are delivered from our sins, not to just from, from sins to some no man's land, but we are delivered from our sins back to Christ himself. He is the blessing of what David speaks of in this verse. So then why, why is the Lord able to save all of us from our afflictions and our pains? Because I think much like what David experienced here with feelings of pain, betrayal, depression, feeling like God is disappointed with him, feeling like that his sins cannot be washed or saved, Christ also went through these same experiences and feelings, except unlike David, he wasn't rescued from his enemies. He was forsaken on the cross. He was mocked at, spat upon, and flogged. So that through his death and resurrection, everyone who would look to Christ would be delivered from their sins. That they would be delivered from their afflictions. And that's just my application here for just three words 
when we feel like we are afflicted in despair, we're distraught, and the enemies are just overwhelming us at that moment. Look to Christ. When you are in tears and weeping and, and you, you don't know what to say, what I encourage you to do is to look to Christ. Look to Christ again and again and again and again. Look to Christ because he is the lifter of your head. Let's pray. Lord, you are a shield about us. You are our glory. You are the lifter of our head. You are our sustainer, and you are our salvation. Pray tonight that through what I even said, if anything had even made any sense, that you would have received all the glory in this moment. So through all our pains and our afflictions and our despair, that you would be lifted up high and that we would look to you and that you would save us from our afflictions. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.